James chapter 1, and we are going to be camping out at one verse tonight, and that's verse 27. Let me just read that to you um, right now. James chapter 1, verse 27. This is what the word of the Lord says. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. Some versions might say pure and undefiled. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world or to keep oneself unstained from the world. So the reason that I was out of town for a couple weeks, my uh, friend Ben and I, we went on a trip to Ethiopia. And uh, in this church here at Redemption Gilbert, we have some partners who are in Ethiopia. And um, we have one partner who works kind of um, in this place of orphan care and uh, rehabilitation. So kids whose parents have died, usually from HIV AIDS, but there's, a, there's just numerous factors that um, contribute to their death, um, now become orphans and a lot of times um, become kids who live on the street. Or uh, and oftentimes kids who are abducted and who are trafficked either into labor or into prostitution. And so we have some partners there who work to rescue those kids, to rehabilitate those kids, give them, get them caught up to speed on school because they, they are obviously out of school and then also give them life skill training and really kind of have this whole holistic approach to, um, to helping those, those orphans. So that, that's one group we have. That, and then the organization and the leaders that Ben and I went to go meet with, um, they work in this space of family empowerment, which is essentially orphan prevention. So uh, these, these families are, are so impoverished um, that they really, a lot of times, have no choice but then to, to just release their kids. Like, they literally will send their kids out from the village and say, you need to go to Addis Ababa, which is the capital city. You need to go to that city. If you're going to have a future, you need to try to go make it on their own. So kids who are 10, 11, 12, 13 years old are sent out of their villages and have to go. Or, uh, again, their parents uh, get sick and die, and now the kids are orphans. There's no one else who will take them in. And so a lot of times these kids just end up on them end up on the street. So we met with um, this leader, uh, his name is Achilo, and he's one of the most amazing men I've ever met. He's, he's like 42, um, but just like brilliant, brilliant guy, Ethiopian guy, grew up in Ethiopia, got his master's in school in Germany, came back to Ethiopia, and um, has been working uh, for the past decade um, on the orphan crisis that's in Ethiopia. And, and he said uh, there are somewhere between 4.5 and 5 million orphans in the country of Ethiopia. One million of those orphans are homeless. They're, they call them street kids. So both parents are dead. Kids have no place to live. Um, in our country, just for some kind of reference, there's, there's about 400,000 orphans uh, in, the, in the kind of the, the system that they know about in the, in the U.S. And in, about, in Arizona, there's somewhere around 17,000 kids who are orphans. But this, this leader, Ashilo, was incredibly encouraging, challenging, inspiring in so many ways. And, and just... Ben and I just asked him, just, just talk to us about kind of your vision. Like, what, why is it that you're doing what you're doing? What, 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 what is this all about? Just, just kind of talk to us. And he started, to, he, he, these are the kind of things he was saying. He was saying, look, I believe that the local church is the, is the answer to the orphan crisis. He said, God did not design for children to live in orphanages. Orphanages are a man-made institution. God's design for kids is families. Um, 
he said, kids deserve families. Families need support. The local church is the support that families need. And he's right. There are far more followers of Jesus in the world today than there are children who need homes. And I, agree, I totally agree with Shiloh. In fact, there were so many different things that he was saying um, about the gospel and the orphan crisis and the, and the responsibility of the follower of Jesus to engage in this. I just turned to Ben and I was like, it's like this guy is reading our handbook. And, and Ben's like, yeah, he is. It's called the Bible. And I was like, he, he, he just totally gets it. Um, and and, 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 and so we were just totally in sync, super, super encouraged. But God's plan, God's plan is for the church to serve and to care for those who are in need, especially children. That's what James is teaching us in this verse. That's, you really will see that throughout the whole scripture, but that's what James is teaching. So let's kind of get to this verse real quick. So he says, religion that's pure and undefiled, a religion that is pure and faultless. What, what's he talking about? So the religion, you can replace that word with, with worship, what James is talking about there. He's talking about worship. There's a, there's a quote that I like that talks about this. Godly religion, that is biblical Christianity or true worship, is a matter of holy. And when you see that word holy, uh, it can, that can feel like high church talk. But when you see the word holy, it means set apart or unique. So true worship that is set apart or that is unique, obedience to, is obedience to God's word reflected, among other ways, by our honesty in regards to ourselves. And here's what he said when he's saying honesty in regards to ourselves. Who am I? I, I am a fallen, uh, flawed, uh, sinful, rebellious human saved by the unmerited, undeserved favor, grace of God. The Bible teaches me that. So true worship is my honesty with myself about who I am. That realization about who I am um, taught from the scriptures. And secondly, by our selflessness in regard to the needs of others. When James is talking about religion that's faultless, and religious, religion that is uh, uh, pure, undefiled before God, acceptable by God, this is what he's talking about. Our, our selflessness in regard to the names of, uh, needs of others. When, when James says pure and undefiled, he's talking about cleanliness, free from contamination. And so he's saying, what is the purest form of religion? What, what, what religion or what worship is pure and, and faultless? James says to look after orphans, to look after widows in their distress, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world, to keep ourselves separated by the, from the impurities of this world, to live a holy life, to live a set-apart life that would please God. Caring for the, the least of these, you see the scriptures describe them, those with the most need is so close to the heart of God. And if you, if you just do a, a study through the scriptures, you'll see this over and over and over again. Not only is this the very nature of who God is, but it is the God's call to his people as well too. And, and this, like regardless of where you are, kind of on your relationship, th- there is something intrinsically like born in your spirit that resonates with this too. I, I got two kids I want to show you just real quick. So I met a group of kids. They're all beautiful, and you're going to love them. But this was, um, this is a girl. Her name is uh, Tesfinesh, uh, which means you are hope. So Tesfinesh, uh, she's great. She's, she's four and a half years old. 
um, she lives in one of the, the group homes. So one of the things that you need to understand about the orphan crisis, really worldwide, but specifically in Ethiopia as well too, kids who are over the age of four are 70% less likely to be adopted. And in Ethiopia, um, the idea that you would adopt a child carries with it a certain stigma and is a relatively foreign concept to them. So most of the adoption that has happened in Ethiopia has been a foreigner who's come in, so somebody from the U.S. or somebody from Europe, who's come in and adopted an Ethiopian child. And that's just been kind of the way that it has been for decades. In 2002, this guy, Shiloh, who, who we met, he wrote, um, he wrote some policy on national adoption. So think Ethiopians adopting Ethiopian children. The government used that in 2002 essentially as a blueprint for what their kind of policy on adoption was going to be. In 2009, so seven years later, the first legal Ethiopian national adoption happened. And since then, I think this year they're going to have their 100th kid who's going to be adopted. Now, when you're talking about 5 million orphans, it doesn't sound like a huge victory, but for them, it's a huge win because they're slowly shifting a cultural stigma around Ethiopia. I mean, you just have to think, we can sit there like, well, why would they do that? But if you just think, okay, we are incredibly impoverished ourselves. We've got five or six kids. Why would we ever bring another child into it? How we can barely take care of ourselves. Why would we bring one more in? Or they would say, well, we don't really know anything about this kid. We're going to bring them in. Who knows what kind of diseases they have? Who knows what kind of trouble they would bring? So that it's just not worth it for us. So they would rather just have them be orphans than to take that burden on themselves. So judge not lest you be judged. But if you kind of see it from their perspective, there is somewhat of an understanding like, okay, I can kind of see how they would get there. But that kind of whole thinking, that paradigm thinking is changing in a Chilo. He has these national conferences with pastors from all over Ethiopia. He's training the church in this. They're training communities in this. And it really is amazing what God is doing in and, and through them. So Tesfanesh, I met her. She lives in one of these group homes. So one of the ways that they provide a family for these kids who are less likely to be adopted is they, they have this they have a couple of these apartment complexes and in the apartment complex there are like six or seven apartments and in those apartments there's eight kids to an apartment. There's a full-time mom that stays with them and a part-time auntie who kind of comes by uh, every day to kind of check on the kids. And so now these kids who had no family, they now have created family around them in these in these group homes and Tess Finesh is one of the kids who was in there and I thought she was super cute and um, we had fun together. So the next um, is a kid, his name is Tabarek. And Tiberic is a name that means uh, be blessed. That was a name that was given to him um, by one of the leaders from this organization because when Tiberic um, was born, he was actually abandoned and left in a cave in the forest. Uh, and some kids found him um, and they called the leaders from this organization. They came, they took him. He was crawling with bugs. He was hypothermic. He was about 10 days old when they found him. They took him to the hospital. He was there for a few weeks, got him back to health. Um, and you know, when they went to, they asked, they said, okay, what's the boy's name? Um, they gave him that name, Tabarak, which means be blessed. Uh, they had no idea who the father is. Their, their kind of theory on the whole thing is that Tabarak's mom was probably raped, um, and so when she had the baby, it's not a baby that she wanted to keep, uh, and so she ab- abandoned that child. Um, 
um, he now is, stays in what they call a transition home. So a transition home are kids from infant to four years old um, so that, because those kids are kind of in the pipeline to be adopted um, and they have nine full-time staff that kind of work on a rotation like nurses who take care um, of these kids who are in these transition homes. So here's, here's why I tell you those stories. One, because they're, to me, incredibly hopeful and encouraging and, and we should be praying for kids now we know their names. But there's something, there's something in you. When, when you see the faces, when you hear the stories, there's something in you that says, well, what, what can I do? I, I, you you want to help. There's something in you that want, wants to help. Why is that? Because when you, you hear the stories, you, you see the faces, this goes far beyond just numbers. Now it's not five million orphans in uh, the country of Ethiopia or 400,000 orphans in the U.S. or 17,000 orphans in the state of Arizona. Now it's Tesfanesh. Now it's Tiberic. Their faces, their stories. And, and of all the orphans in our country and all the, of the orphans in our state, guess what? They all have faces too. They all have names. They all have stories. And, and, and what James and what I, what I believe that God is trying to do through the scriptures, honestly, to us is to, for us to see people, not just hear numbers, not just hear statistics, but for us to truly see people, especially the, the, the least of these, because every single one has a name. Every single one has a story. What James challenges me in, and I think what James is challenging all of us is, is Religion or worship for you can be, it can be a matter of the head, so just something that you just think about, or it can be a matter of the heart, whereas there's something inside of me that, that, that aches for restoration. There, there's something in, inside of me that is going to change the way that I live. I, I'm not just going to think about it and then forget it. No, it's something inside of me that's undeniable. That has, to show, that has to show up. Because if it's just a matter of my head, it really doesn't leave me unchanged. But if it's something that's in my heart, it intrinsically brings change. What James is encouraging us through, the, in, in everything that he's writing, is a reaction to the word of God, to his grace in your life, that births a willingness to live your life without selfishness, with genuine concern for the welfare of others, especially those who are in great need. You see, outwardly, like what we do, we all show up, and, and I know what you, you, you think, what we did at the very beginning, you think, oh, that was worship. We started with worship tonight. Yes and no. We started with singing. Singing is a way for us to express our worship to God, but our worship is really all of our life. And so if worship for you has been diluted down to what Jed or Connor or whoever's up here kind of leads us in, like this moment of singing, you have a very small and inaccurate view of worship. Because what James has been saying to us, and specifically in this verse, he says, worship is all of your life. It's an overflow of what God has done. It's a response to who he is and what he has done that shows up in every part of your life. And outward and inward, our religion, our worship is to be, be the same. It's to be responding to authentic needs with the love of Jesus by the power of the Spirit. It, if we are going to be Christ-like, 
if you've been a follower of Jesus, you've heard that, that we are to be Christ-like, then we should probably look at what Christ is like and what he actually likes. Because when you look at the person of Jesus, and, and, and if you've never really done that, if you haven't spent a lot of time in the, in the Gospels or working through this, just the life of Jesus, let me just encourage you. Start with the Gospel of John and just read through it. And if, if you can take notes, that's really great. And just write down all the interesting things that you see about Jesus. And, and look at his life, because when you do, you're going to see the compassion that he had for the weak and the poor. You're going to see him fight for justice and mercy. You're going to see the ultimate, most vivid picture of self-sacrificing love in the cross. What Jesus does with his life is what he calls us to, which is giving everything. Giving everything of yourself without using people. See, a lot of times we're pretty keen on like, okay, I will give if it means I'm going to get something in return. A lot of relationships just work like that. I'm more than willing to give if I'm going to get what I want in return. But Jesus gives everything and gets nothing in return. And it's loving people, expecting nothing in return. When you look at Jesus in the scriptures, he's always moving towards the people that everyone else moves away from. He's always, he, move, he moves towards the demon-possessed. He moves towards the blind. He moves towards the sick. He moves towards the lame. He moves towards the, the leper. He, he moves towards those that everybody else moves away from. What about you tonight? Did you even notice the people in the room that nobody else seemed to move towards? When you, when you go to class or when you go to work or, you know, wherever it is that life kind of takes you, in those places, the places that I believe God has sovereignly placed you on mission, by the way, who do you move towards and who do you move away from? And who are the people that Jesus would move towards? And do they look the same? In, in Matthew chapter 9, there's this moment where Jesus calls this guy Matthew, and Matthew's a tax collector, and tax collector is just like the absolute worst person. Like nobody, nobody wanted to be around a tax collector. Um, and Jesus, uh, Jesus invites Matthew, this, this tax collector, he says, come follow me. And then the very next verse, I just absolutely love Jesus' style, because the very next verse, they're, at, they're having the dinner party. And the dinner party is all tax collectors and what, uh, Matthew calls sinners. And the Pharisees, who are kind of like the religious elite, the religious leaders of the day, they ask the other followers of Jesus, they're like, why is it? Why is it that, that your master, why is it that this teacher, this rabbi, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why does he move towards those everybody else moves away from? Why does he spend so much time with those that nobody wants to spend time with? And listen to what Jesus, how he, how he answers this. It, it's very interesting because the Pharisees didn't ask Jesus. They asked his followers. But Jesus has like superhuman hearing and he hears everything. So he, he hears it and he says this. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So you see it there, just in, 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 in 
the explanation of Jesus. He said, look, this is the whole reason I'm here. And if you, if you want to really figure it out, learn what this means. I desire mercy. I desire that you move towards those that everybody else moves away from. And James is saying the same thing. We've already heard it in, in what he's written. He says, look, it's not just hearing. It's, it's doing. It be, he says, because if you just hear this, you don't do anything with it, you're deceiving yourself. You're lying to yourself. So we continue in this text, because God, God, God reveals the target of the mission. He says, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction or distress. The thing that you have to understand in, in this particular day Orphans were especially vulnerable to evil and to exploitation because in that day, if you were fatherless, it meant that you were automatically, you were, you were a street kid, you were a victim of the slave trade or other abuse. What James, James says that there, there were victims of loneliness. If you were a widow, you had absolutely no standing at all. So women had no standing in this culture anyway. And now they're, uh, now they're a widow. Uh, their husband has died. So, so there's, there's no outlet for them. There's no uh, welfare. There's no help for the neediest in society. A lot of times these widows would have to turn to something like prostitution just to be able to survive. There was no life insurance. Um, and if there was no family that could take you in, it was like a death sentence for you. And that's what James is saying. Look, go to these people. They are the most vulnerable people in society society. And he says, go visit them. Um, I, was a, I was a pastor at a church in Tallahassee uh, before I came here about a decade ago. And part of my job was that I, every week I'd have to go to these nursing homes and visit people who at one point attended our church, I guess. Um, but now they're in the nursing home. And I don't, I don't know how many of you often go to nursing homes or have been before, but to me, very sad places. And I was like, I always kind of dreaded it. Um, but then once I was there, I always felt like this is, this is obviously what I need, what I need to be doing. But it's that kind of, uh, of idea. It's the, the word um, is a, a, a piscatomai. It means to, to visit, but it carries with it the idea of kind of caring for others and exercising oversight on their behalf and helping them in whatever way that they needed. Um, at that church I was at before, there was a guy named Glenn and Glenn um, ran a rescue mission that we had for uh, homeless guys in Tallahassee. And uh, Glenn uh, is one of my all-time favorite people on planet Earth, and I learned an absolute ton from him. And uh, older guy, mentor to me, and uh, we would just drive around the city in his pickup truck, uh, literally picking up homeless guys <laughs> and, like, driving to the thing. And just this dude was just, like, ministry like crazy. I mean, he was just so amazing. Glenn's wife um, had cancer and um, eventually died of cancer. Um, but he was telling me the story of kind of everything that he would have to do to take care of her um, because it was, it was, it was a full-time job. He'd, he'd, have to, he'd have to clean her. He'd have to hold her. He'd have to feed her. He'd have to give her things to drink. He'd pray for her. He'd encourage her. But he literally like, was a full-time kind of caregiver to his dying wife. Um, this word that James uses here reminds me of what Glenn had to do with his bride. And it's that type of giving of yourself. It's that type of, I'm, I'm, there's no way that you can repay me for what I'm gonna do for you. You're so vulnerable, you have no way that you could contribute to my life in any way. And I am at extreme cost to myself going to serve you in whatever way that I can. 
It, it's the same idea of when God would come and minister to his people when you, when you see that throughout the scripture. James says, go and visit the orphan and the widow in their affliction. When he says in their affliction, he's talking about go and visit those who are under tremendous pressure. Go and visit those that, who are facing absolute crisis. And if you look at the major kind of issues in our society, in our culture today, who is it in our society, in our culture, who pays the highest price for these things that are broken in our society? So if you, it, let's just take these issues. You've got broken families, fatherlessness, divorce, poverty, substance abuse, substance abuse incarceration, homelessness, uh, domestic abuse, gang violence, racism, human trafficking. Who pays the highest price for all those things those, and, and the many other broken things in our society? Children. Kids, kids pay the highest price for the broken things in our, in our society. The ones who didn't cause these problems and the ones who do not have the ability to solve these problems, those are the ones who suffer the most. The ones who are the most vulnerable, the ones who can least afford to suffer the consequences are the ones who pay the highest price for these breakdowns in our society. I think that's why God in Psalm 82, listen what he says in Psalm 82. This is a call to us. Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. So according to Psalm 82, what are we supposed to do? Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. God cares about these children more than we can imagine. He's willing, and he is calling us to care about them as well. Psalm 68 tells us who God is. Listen to this. Psalm 68, verse five and six. God is a father to the fatherless. A defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. And I love this, verse six. Look at what God does. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. He is a father to the fatherless. He is a defender of the widows. He sets the lonely in families. That's what God does. And, and we can't just look at this and, 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 and be disconnected from it because you, we really do see throughout the whole scripture that the treatment of the poor, the treatment of the most vulnerable in our society is directly related to the health of the Christian church. In, in the book of Amos, Amos chapter five, I'm gonna read from a paraphrase because I, I like the language better, but if you're a stickler on it, you can just read it out of your version. But, but listen to what God says in Amos chapter five. He says, I can't stand your religious meetings. I'm fed up with your conferences and conventions. I want nothing to do with your religion projects, your pretentious slogans and goals. I'm sick of your fundraising schemes, your public relations and image making. I've had all I can take of your noisy ego music. When was the last time you sang to me? He says, do you know what I want? I want justice, oceans of it. I want fairness, rivers of it. That's what I want. That's all that I want. Now, I, I kind of struggled a little bit when I was thinking about you guys in particular and, and this message because talking to a bunch of young adults about the orphan crisis is a little bit wonky, right? So um, because I'm, I, I, for most of you, I'm not telling you run out and go adopt a kid, right? So please don't do that for the sake of the children. Please do not do that, right? But there are two things. There are two kind of like bare minimum things that I, I think every young adult and every young adult in this room can do. Um, everybody in here can care. 
everybody in here can care. Which means you can find out, you can find out what types of things are being done to help the most vulnerable in our society, specifically orphans. And if you're kind of at a loss, you're like, I don't even know where to start, come talk to me. Maybe whatever church you attend, they might have something going on here at Redemption Gilbert. We've got quite a few things that are going on kind of in, in that world, in that space. So come talk to me. But everybody in here, you can care. Make yourself aware. You make yourself aware of a whole lot of other things. You know when the next season of Stranger Things starts. So, like, you know when the next Netflix show is coming on or whatever. I don't know what I'm talking about right now. But you do, Right? You make yourself aware of the things that you care about. Make yourself aware of this and care about this. And the second thing that every, everyone in here that you can do, you can pray. You say, well, I'm not a Christian. God, God hears everybody. You can pray. Everyone in here can pray. I, I, the problem is, and the reason that we don't care, and the reason that we don't pray is because we have, a, we have a psychological and we have a geographical separation from the orphan, from the poor, from the most vulnerable in our society. Because we don't even know who they are. I, I, I mentioned the last church of that, I, I, had a, kind of, I had a college ministry there. And um, they used to, there were two Walmarts in Tallahassee. It's a relatively small town. Uh, there was the ghetto Walmart, uh, and then there was the good Walmart. And I used to just think, you know what? They all become ghetto at some point, so just you wait. And the reason that the ghetto one is the ghetto one is because it's right next to Florida State where you live, and you made it the ghetto one, so it's your fault. Um, but I just remember kind of thinking that. Like, we have these places that are ghetto that we won't go to. We have these other places that are good, and, and we'll go there. And the Bible talks about our relationship and our proximity to the poor. In Proverbs 21, verse 13, says, Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. Deuteronomy 27, 19, Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due the sojourner, due the foreigner, due the immigrant, the fatherless, and the widow. Exodus 22, 22, you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. And, and the reason that we need to identify with the poor is not just because we are called to serve them. It's because we, we are them. We need to see ourselves as the poor, the broken, the robbed, the orphan. Um, there's a movie, this movie came out like ages ago. Um, it's, it's called August Rush, but it's about this kid who is an orphan. His name's Evan and Evan's kind of like this musical prodigy, like, freak kid. So um, Evan kind of has this sense about him that there's something, there's something more for him out there in the world. So um, he's left in this orphanage. His parents think he's dead. Uh, and, and so they, he, he escapes and runs away from this orphanage. He gets discovered um, by this character that Robin Williams played um, called, it's called The Wizard. I know this movie sounds weird, but it's, it's actually a really great movie. And kind of in this process where, you know, Evan has this amazing ability and the wizard kind of wants to, Robin Williams' character kind of wants to exploit him and, and all Evan really wants is just to kind of find something deeper in life. And there's this dialogue that this boy has with Robin Williams' character. And Robin Williams asks him, he says, um, he, he's asking about def him defining himself, kind of becoming 
who he wants to become. And he says, what do you want to be in the world? In the whole world, when you close your eyes and you can be anything you want to be, what would you be? And Evan, little boy, says, found. If I could be anything, I want to be found. That's us. That is our story. I, I don't want to give the movie away, but for crying out loud, you should have seen it by now. It came out literally like 20 years ago. Um, but that story mirrors so well the thing that we seek the most. And the thing that we seek the most is a restored relationship with the one we were created by and the one we were created for. Everybody in here, everybody, our story is the same. That is what we seek the most. That is what we want the most. We want to be found. And we want to be found by the one who created us for him. If, if you ever do get to a place, you know, in, in your life where you, you do adopt a, a child into your family, it might be one of the most God-like things that you could ever do. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, that's exactly what God did to you. Because we were spiritual orphans separated from God by our own sin, by our own rebellion. But because of what Jesus did on our behalf, God the Father adopted us into his family. God gave us a new name. He gave us the titles of sons and daughters. Not, now we're not on our own. We are in God's family. And when you call upon the name of Jesus, you're adopted into the family of God. And you're not there because you're good, because you earned it, or because you deserve it. You're there because he's good and because his delight is in reaching out and drawing in spiritual orphans. That's the gospel. That's this good news about who Jesus is and what he's done. That's the picture of salvation. That's the goodness of God that in the life, death, and resurrection of, of Jesus that you might be spiritually born into the family of God, that you bear his name and that you're no longer lost on your own, that you are found in him. Paul talks about this when, he, when he's talking to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter one. He says that he who is God predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. What Paul is saying there is that God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. That is what God wanted to do and it brought him great pleasure to do that. James ends this verse, he says, Keep yourself unstained from the world. The, 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 the Greek word is aspilios, which means unspilled upon. The stain of our world is primarily the stain and the lie that it's all about me. That's the stain of this world. That it's all about you. Do whatever makes you happy. Do whatever is best for you. You, everything in the world orbits around you. That, that pride, that selfishness, that self-centered worship of yourself, the, ex, the, 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 the promotion of yourself, the worship of yourself, that is the biggest stain of, of our world. It, it, and what James is trying to draw out of us as the church is he's trying to draw out of us the true allegiance of your life. Because if your allegiance, meaning if the, the place you give the most glory, 
the most fame, the most attention to is Christ, then our deepest desire should be to love and to care for those and, to, and for others, especially the least of these, and to confess our selfish sin when we do not. Because the genuine Christian, what James is getting at, true worship cannot be happy or content when you do not show compassion for others. James says it, it just it doesn't work. It's incompatible. And it's not our perfection that brings or proves our salvation, but rather I think it's us hating our imperfection and seeking God's help and power to correct them, asking God to change us, to stir us from our selfishness and to make us the people that he has called us to be. And we should long to speak and to do only those things that are holy and pure and loving and honest and truthful and upright, things that are uncorrupted, things that are unstained by the world, giving glory to God our heavenly father, the author, the perfecter of our faith, the father of the fatherless, the one who moves towards those who everybody else moves away from, the lover of the unlovable, the one who brings hope and mercy and healing by the unfathomable depth of his grace. Let's pray. I wanna, um, the, the band's gonna come and they're gonna kind of close us tonight. And I wanna just give you just a moment to really um, just kind of reflect on, on what we've heard from the Word of God tonight. And I want to give you some things to kind of just pray about just quickly kind of around your table. Um, first, just pray and thank God for the adoption provided by the finished work of Jesus Christ. And if you're a follower of Jesus in the room tonight, the greatest thing that could ever be said over your life, the greatest thing that you could ever think about yourself or know about yourself that's true is that you are a son, or you are a daughter, the most high God. Just spend some time, just say, God, just thank you for that adoption that I did not earn, that I in no way contributed to. It's fully, wholly a work of your amazing grace. as you think about that just amazing reality and you thank God just for that, um, I want you to pray now also um, that God would work in you by the power of his spirit um, a life that is set apart, a life that is holy, that you would keep yourself unstained from the world. And some of you, you that, that's tough because that's gonna mean the end of certain relationships. It's going to mean the breaking of patterns of behaviors or attitudes that you've had for a long time. Just confess that. Bring that to God. Ask God to bring that change and that, bring that transformation. Lastly, um, if you would, just pray for the orphan crisis in places like Ethiopia, in our country, in our state, 
If you need names, you have the name of Tiberic and you have the name of Tesfanesh. Um, maybe there's names that you already know. Um, maybe there's organizations or agencies or people or places that you already know that are engaged in this and you can pray for those leaders and pray for those workers. Um, but just pray and lift up um, the cry of the orphan, the cry of the vulnerable, the cry of the widow um, to God in our time tonight. God, we love you, and um, God, we just thank you for this encouragement, and in many ways, this challenge from what James has written uh, to the church. And God, we, um, we thank you for the adoption that we have because of the finished work of your son, Jesus Christ, the amazing grace that you have lavished on us in such extravagant ways. God, I pray that we would live out of that identity first. Um, that out of that identity would come our security, um, would come our worship and our love for you and our love for others, specifically the least of these. God, I pray that we would be a people who live a life that is unstained by the corruption of this world, God, specifically the, the stain of selfishness, self-centeredness, pride, God, that everything's about me and that everything's about my um, advantage and my own pleasure and my own desires and God I just pray that you just rid rid us of that and God that you just break that and God lastly we do we pray for those um, God who are without a forever family God in our own in our own state in our country God globally worldwide and God um, I know you care for the orphan, and God, you hear their cry, God, more than we ever could, God, more than we ever will. Um, and God, we know we can't do everything, um, but God, we can do something. And so God, we pray for opportunities, and God, we pray for the courage and the boldness to be obedient um, when those opportunities to love come about. Um, God, we lift our voices now as an expression of our thanks and adoration for you. Jesus, we love you. It's in your name we pray.